Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. Hello, everybody. Uh, if you are unfamiliar, my name is Zach Arnold. I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor, turned career strategist and podcaster, and I'm also the creator of Optimize Yourself. And I am here today on this awesome panel with not just one, but four amazingly talented, brilliant editors amongst a variety of different genres. Now, unlike all of the conversations that our panelists have probably had specifically about their shows and their craft and their process, today's conversation is going to go beyond the timeline. So I'm going to make sure that we include in the show notes links to all of their other amazing conversations where they talk about their process and working on their nominated shows. But today, what I really want to talk about with all of you, what makes us irreplaceable creatives? As much as all of us probably want to avoid it, artificial intelligence is not going away. But for anybody that follows me, you know that I'm not part of the doom and gloom crowd. I think that there is a ton of value that all of us bring to the table as both editors and as creatives that simply cannot be replaced by technology. And that is what we're going to dive into a whole lot more today with all four of our panelists. So without further ado, I would like to introduce first Belinda Zayner Guerra, who's the Emmy nominated editor on a black lady sketch show. Then we have Fady Jeanbart, who's an editor on the thriller feature Till Death Do His Part. Third, we have Matthew D. Miller, Emmy-nominated editor on RuPaul's Drag Race Untucked. And last but not least, we have Stephanie Philo, who is the Emmy-nominated editor on a Black Lady sketch show, History of the World Part Two, and Dahmer. And no, that is not a typo. Stephanie has three simultaneous Emmy nominations on three different shows. I'm already exhausted and we haven't even gotten started, but Melinda, Steph, Fady, Matthew, it is a pleasure to have this conversation with you today. So I appreciate all of you being here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy Thank to be here. Cool. All right. So here's where we're going to get started. It's going to be a little bit off the beaten path. I know a lot of people when they interview you, they always ask, tell us how you got into the biz. How did you break in and how, what's your path and how did you get to being an Emmy nominated editor? 
What I want to talk about instead of that is all of your diverse career portfolios. I think there's something really interesting and unique about all four of you, where if you were to look at your IMDb Pro resumes, they're kind of head scratchers. It's like, how, how did this happen, right? So many different paths and so many different unique genres and mediums that all of you have worked on. And I really believe in the value of career diversification because I think that so many of us get pigeonholed so easily. Um, just as a little bit of shameless self-promotion, if anybody wants to know Stephanie's 90-minute version of her entire career path and her history and how she was pigeonholed and how she overcame it, well, we've got a podcast interview for that. Just go into the Optimize Yourself archives. But I want to start with you, Stephanie, with a very, very brief version of how you believe the diversification of all of your work experience, your life experiences, and otherwise have brought you to where you are as a three-time simultaneous Emmy nominee. <laughs> Um, that's intense to, <laughs> to get started. Um, I think for me, so there was a, there was a time where I was working like exclusively on true crime series, right? I did that for like six straight years and I was just like every job opportunity that came up was another true crime series. Um, and so I just like worked really hard to try to change I guess changed the type of content that I was working on. I started kind of turning down crime stuff and I was like, you know, how long can I go without finding something else? Um, just so I could, you know, hold off and see if I could track down stuff. I told everybody that I knew that I wanted to, you know, it's like not dissing the true crime genre, but also just saying like, hey, I would love to, you know, also, you know, dip my toes in these different things as well. So it's like just telling everybody that I knew, um, telling everybody that I knew like what I kind of was trying to do um and I feel like creatively and I'm sure all of you guys can speak to this is just you know it's a lot more fulfilling to me being able to to learn more aspects of the craft from different genres and so I think ever since then and once I kind of got out of the true crime side of it and was branching into these other areas I was like I'm learning so much and there's like different techniques that maybe I learned from this one that I can apply to this um, and it just makes our our jobs much more interesting especially collaboratively because it's you know for example like on a black lady sketch show Melinda and I we've worked on several things over the years but we've also worked on very different things as well and it's nice to be able to say like oh why don't you try this technique here and this technique here and um, you know I think I think for all of us it's it's just a really good good way to be able to flex our creative muscles just to have have different genres as much as we can so if we were going to break down your career portfolio so to speak into the simplest terms it seems to me it would be you've got unscripted reality you've got unscripted true crime you've got a whole bunch of different areas of scripted so if, if you were to create a full a few bullet points just to help characterize all the things you've done which again we barely were able to cover this in 90 minutes but if you've got 90 seconds how would you break down all the different areas that you've worked just for anybody listening that doesn't know you or your path has some idea of all the various areas that you've worked before sure um i've worked in reality documentary um psa's commercials, trailers, um, scripted comedy, scripted sketch, scripted drama, scripted horror, um, and also, you know, between TV and features as well. So just everything I can get my hands on. <laughs> I love it. And we're going to talk a whole lot more about how that provides value in all those contexts, but I want to make sure we, uh, we get to know everybody else here a little bit better. So I'm going to transition now to Melinda, secondly. 
Um, and again, a little bit of shameless self-promotion. Anybody that wants to hear <laughs> Melinda's extended story hasn't even been released yet, but we have recorded it and it will be coming out shortly. Uh, now, Melinda, you and I met about three, four years ago when you were very much in the messy middle of how do I make the transition from unscripted editor to scripted editor? And had mm -hmm. I known that we'd work together and you would get an Emmy nomination before me, I never would have mentored you. Um, very, very <laughs> upset about that. Um, of course I'm not, I'm very, very happy for you and have been nothing, doing nothing but singing your praises in our, uh, our group. Uh, but what I want you to do is share something very similar to Stephanie. For those that don't know anything about you or your story, how would you characterize all of the different things that you've worked on in the past, ultimately leading to your nomination on a Black Lady sketch show? Um, I think ultimately, Steph and I, I think have very similar uh, stories and we also worked together back in the day, I think it was like 2013 on a paranormal show, uh, which is where we first met. So off and on, we've been um, working together over the years. But um, I I actually started in the business as an actor. So I came into it from like the in front of the camera um, and then moved into editing and um, started out in reality. I actually started with um, commercials for the gas company and then got into reality and um, did a lot of kind of the docu-follow. I did a ton of paranormal and adventure travel um, and then got into uh, competition shows. I've done a season of Drag Race All-Stars. I did Making It. Um, and I think ultimately, and then moved, tried to move more into the scripted space. And it's just, for me, I don't want to be doing the same thing all the time. I think that's why a lot of people get into the entertainment industry because you do think it's going to be all this like flexibility and different kind of work and getting to do all these different things and tell different stories, which is sometimes true. And sometimes, you know, it's very much <laughs> your, it, your 12 hours in a room, like, and it's not that different. But um, after, you know, kind of just being in the kind of doc you follow for a bit on like Total Divas and the Kardashians, I was like, I got to I got to do something a little bit different just for my own, you know, not getting bored and not feeling stale. So, and the, the more different genres I had, just like Steph said, you, yeah, you learn all these other tricks, you learn different ways people approach cutting things, um, you know, a transition in unscripted between scenes is very different, even within from like a competition show to a docu-follow, like how you manage those, um, and I think ultimately that all uh, helps when you're then moving even into the scripted space. You have a ton of, um, and definitely helped with a show like Black Lady Sketch Show, where we are moving from genre to genre like every three days. So, you know, I cut those paranormal shows, I could do a kind of horror sketch and then move the next day into something that was more, you know, traditional comedy. Um, and that was kind of that journey so it was very it probably looks like a mess but it ended up flowing well and the, what i love about what you said so much is this idea that you value all of the diversity and doing all the different genres but as we'll talk about further the industry sees a square peg and it wants the square peg to fit into the square hole right and there's mm -hmm. this idea of being pigeonholed and anybody that's yes. followed me for any length of time knows that i believe we don't get pigeonholed we allow ourselves to be pigeonholed because we keep saying yes to the same things over and over and over and as stephanie mentioned 
I said no. I finally was like, no, I have to say no to true crime. And we can clearly see where that got her. Mm -hmm. uh, but this idea of it being a mess or the word that I use often is scattershot. Um, that's seen as a liability. And I want people to understand what an asset that is. And I think I've got four amazing people to share that, which brings me next to Fady. You have some stiff competition, but if the competition were the most scattershot resume that makes no sense whatsoever, you might edge out even Steph on this one. Cause you look at yours <laughs> and I see editor, but I see composer and assistant camera. It's like, what in the world? So give me a little bit more of a, a clear picture of how you would classify your career portfolio. So I came from Egypt in 2012 and I started filmmaking at New York Film Academy here in Los Angeles. And while I'm studying, I was working a lot on set, like grip, PA, AD, uh, DIT, everything, everything that, that I can learn. I can, I, I, what I want to know, I know what I want to know. I want to be a film director, but at the same time, I want to know everyone doing what on set and anything, you know what I mean? I want to know everything. So I graduated, I worked on a lot of short films as a director and music videos, commercials, uh, one of my short films went to Short Corner in Cannes Film Festival 2018 as a director and editor. I was the editor of the movie too. And then um, I got opportunity to be in uh, an Emmy Award TV show called Studio City. And I see you behind you, it's Cobra Kai pillow. So I'm sure you're familiar with Sean Cannon. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so Sean Cannon, he is the producer and the lead actor of Studio City. Uh, on season one, season two, we got uh, season one, we got uh, a few Emmys, uh, daytime Emmy. Um, and then I began to be the editor of season two uh, with the same director. And then after that, the same director, Timothy Woodward Jr. Uh, I worked with him until that was part as an editor. So I worked in everything, I would say. Yeah, and yeah. we're going to talk a whole lot more about how I think that diversity brings so much strength. And I think that you're you're going to have a really interesting perspective beyond just the post-production world because you've done so many things on set in production and elsewhere. And I definitely want to mm -hmm. dive deeper into all that. But uh, now we have a little bit clearer understanding of where you came from and where you are now. Now to last but not least introduce uh, Matthew D. Miller. If I go on IMDb Pro, seems like a very, very clear path and trajectory because it's just a bunch of editor credits but something tells me there's much more than meets the imdb pro resume i bet there's a whole lot of stuff that isn't on here yeah got you your still first editor credit right? right yeah well yeah i mean um so i i started off i i, I went to vassar college um i didn't know what i wanted to you know major in i thought i was gonna be an english major at first and then i all of a sudden it occurred to me, I was like always watching films and like, you know, big into films at the time. And then I like realized I was like, wait, oh, I can major in film. Like, why don't I do that? So I changed majors and um, had a great professor, um, Ken Robinson, who actually edited um, Purple Rain and who framed Roger Rabbit. And uh, so I did some ended up like doing I mean, we were editing, like literally splicing together film. This was like they were like it was after I grabbed, there was like one avid. And like, after I graduated, like they, of course, like redid the film department and then they got a bunch of avids and everything. But um, yeah, so he was an awesome mentor. And then, you know, I kind of started in the really like television industry. I was working at Postworks and client services and like great shows like The Wire were being cut around me. Queer Eye, the original Queer Eye was being cut around me. 
um, Robert De Niro's Good Shepherd, big like films and everything. And I think Postwork still exists. But um, anyway, so I was just doing odds and ends. And eventually I ended up on, on a show um, called Shalom in the Home as an associate producer. It was my first like freelance job. It was a TLC reality show. Um, I think I got two seasons. And uh, but I but I was always wanting to edit. Like I said, I would see editors in in you know like especially at Postworks, like like Queer Eye, that original one was made a huge splash, and I was like, wow, these guys are so cool. I was like, you know, always like trying to like ask some questions about what it was like being an editor. And um, long story short, I was at a small company at the right time, and um, they had this show, Pawn Stars, that was starting to be a big reality show, and I was like, I can edit. And I started editing. Um, I, I, I didn't, a lot of people assistant edited first. I did not do that. Um, I did not take that route. I took a different route where I did a bunch of kind of like APing and I even did some casting. Um, and yeah, and then uh, just worked on a bunch of different unscripted reality shows, mostly sort of in that like, at the time what would be considered like, male programming sort of like count like you know history channel uh pawn stars counting cars stuff like that and um i heard that queer eye was getting a a reboot and i just had to get on it and i was able to get on that show um and work with some amazing people and it's just a really at the time i feel like it was a, especially with what was going on in the country like it was just like a nice bit of positivity that everybody needed. Um, and uh, yeah, that luckily, like I feel very lucky for this, but that led to two Emmy wins for editing and a bunch of others um, for everybody else for two years in a row. And then, um, yeah, I just, I, now I ended up a few years later editing on uh, Drag Race Untucked. I did, did last season and then I did, I was lead editor uh, this past season and I love it. Of course, to be totally honest, and this might not be a shock to some of you guys, I don't watch a lot of reality TV. I love it. I love working on it and I, and I do watch some of it. I watch it mostly with my, my wife watches a little bit more than I do. And I do watch it some with her, but I watch, I mean, I I'm, I watch scripted stuff almost exclusively in documentaries. I do love Drag Race. I love Queer Eye. My wife loves Love is Blind, so I've watched some of that with her. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I like to think that when I'm editing reality, when I'm editing unscripted, I don't, I'm just doing my thing. I'm just sort of listening to whatever feels right inside. I know that sounds kind of cheesy. I'm I'm a songwriter as well. I do music and I kind of, there's sort I write songs. There's sort of a similar part of the brain to me. And if something just doesn't feel right, it, it's like a feeling almost, I, 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 I'll tweak it. And I always listen to that. I try to listen to that inner voice as much as possible on the first pass of everything. Um, and a big buzzword in unscripted is we want it to be more cinematic. We want it to be more cinematic. You know, we always hear that all the time in the notes. Well, I've been trying to do that ever since I started in this in, in, in this job. I've always thought, well, why does it have to be this way? Why does it have to, why can't it be like that? Why can't it be like this film or this this scripted show that I watch? So anyway, 
that's sort of my approach. Um, I'm probably left out a lot, but uh, well, that's all right. We'll, 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 I'll pull out the rest that you left out because I think you've this is the the perfect thread to start pulling on, and it's the direction that I want to go. Uh, I'm not surprised sure. at all that there's more to you than the resume, and that's really a theme that I want to talk about more is how we are much more than our resumes and we're much more than our job titles. And I think mm -hmm. that the diversity we have, whether it is literally who we are as a person, where we came from, our life experiences, or the skills that we've developed in multiple genres or even mediums, that is an asset. Why it's seen as a liability in this industry, I could do a 30-minute TED Talk about how much this annoys me. Not going to do it right now. Melinda knows that I have a tendency <laughs> to pull out a soapbox and do a TED Talk. Not going to do that. But there's I'm constantly so much... going on about this, too. I mean, Good. So sorry. I think you and I are kindred spirits, for sure. So that this is an area that I want to dig into deeper. Uh, and just for a point of procedure, anytime that anybody wants to kind of they want to come into the conversation and add to it, you know, just kind of raise your hand or let me know. It doesn't have to be I have to go around and ask you. But in general, I'll just kind of go back right now in reverse order. But anybody can chime in. Uh, but if I'm going to go to you now, Fady, what I want to talk about more, and this really applies to all of you, is that as we're learning and growing in our careers, there's a certain amount of necessary skills that we have to develop. We have to learn storytelling and how to cut a scene. We have to learn Avid or Premiere or Final Cut, whatever your NLE of choices. But I have always argued that after a certain point, what differentiates you, Fady, from Melinda, from Steph, from Matthew, or the other people that you're competing against for a job is none of those things, because we all meet a certain level of qualifications. And we have much more unique creative skills that differentiate us, whether it's the number of languages we speak literally, the languages that we speak filmically in every genre, every medium is a different language. So I'm curious, Fady, from your perspective, given you have such a diverse background, what do you think are some of the key skills that you bring to the table that are uniquely you based on all the diversity that you have in your background? I mean, for me is, I learned, I studied filmmaking. So I studied everything in college. I studied directing, editing, um, um, screenwriting, uh, cinematography, producing everything. And this of course helped me in storytelling uh what helped me too i'm i came from another culture i came from another place so i already watching movies that maybe a lot of people are not watching here arabic language or something i know like a lot of people are watching international everything but i came already with this mentality i came this it was it was me before you know and of course in egypt we were watching a lot of english watching a lot of european french especially style and they have different French, they have different, or Europe, they have different storytelling uh, style. So everything it's inside me. I'm, and of course, when I started, I'm like, oh, now it makes sense. This makes sense or that makes sense or why they did this or why they did that, these kind of things. Uh, of course, this helped me too. Um, editing wise, I would say, I learned at school, uh, they, they give us Evit the standard and after avid as an editor for me i like to see every software editing and i like to learn every one i'm not i don't have like one i'm not only working on avid i'm not working on premiere i'm not working it depends on the project it depends on if i'm sitting like in a meeting and i'm telling them like hey this project i can do it on this software or something and then they ask me why or like no i like this software or something and then i answer like my my reasons they will think, okay, you know, this guy knows what he's what he's doing. This guy knows 
what's happening here. You know what I mean? Of course, if it makes sense, of course. Otherwise, yeah, and, and I love the fact that you've you've prioritized specifically learning beyond one specific NLE. This is another one of my pet peeves that I'm I'm slowly starting to see go away. But for years and years, especially when I was first coming up, when you had a job listing or somebody had their title on a resume, Avid Editor, Final Cut Editor, Premiere Editor. It's like, no, that's just the tool, right? Yeah. It's like saying, yeah. I am a Stanley Saw Carpenter. I am a Ryobi carpenter. It's like, no, you're a carpenter, right? You just, you yeah. build, you tell stories. And I love the idea that you embraced all the tools, especially given how rapidly the tools are changing right now. And mm -hmm. even what is editing gonna look like in three to five years when we have all of these generative AI programs and all of the things that we do that we consider part of our jobs that'll probably be automated. I really believe there's still a key component of what we do as editors and storytellers that simply cannot be replicated no matter what, at least yeah. if people are interested in good stories. If you're interested in garbage, we're pretty close to the edit button. We're almost there. We're not quite there, but we're pretty close. <laughs> uh, Matthew, you wanted to add to that. No, I just want to say like the other question I have is like, with the, everybody's like, AI is going to take over everything and like, you know, make these broad stroke statements about, about these things. And what I wonder is like, would we as audience members be okay with that? I don't want to like, like I want to, I, when I'm watching something or listening to a song, I like the notion that there is a human being behind it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, oh, completely. Yeah, we, we have to ask ourselves that question too. And I think that's an important question. I think that, I think a lot of people would reject the idea that AI would completely create art you know what yeah. i mean like yeah i i don't think we i don't know if we really want that can it be used as a tool for some things sure of course yeah and i, I agree with that completely and i think that there's going to be a subset of a future audience that's just asking for more of oh my balls i just think that's going to be part of the the content creation but i think there's going to be a much larger subset of people that say i watch yeah. stories because i want to understand the human experience i want to know yeah. that i'm collectively going through the same thing that other people are going through and we want to understand humanity together ai doesn't replace that so having said that i now want to move on let's go to uh, to steph for a second uh, kind of similar question. There's a certain level at which we have to gather our hard skills and the necessary technical abilities and creative abilities. But then there's that threshold between everybody could do the job versus how our diversity makes us stronger storytellers. So how would you encapsulate some of the strengths that you've developed that make you uniquely you? Um, well, I mean, ultimately, our job as editors is to tell stories as authentically as we can, right? And all of these, you know, all of these different characteristics that I might have as a person that I might have from all of my prior experience are just tools that help us tell these stories more authentically, you know? So, you know, it, it really depends obviously on the project, like what, what pieces of things you're using, but it's also, I mean, to me, I'm like, why wouldn't you want someone with the most like diverse skill set? to tell a story because it's like you're approaching it differently when you think about you know unscripted versus scripted and unscripted a lot of the times you're creating a story on your own you're going through like thousands of hours of footage to come up with like some story that makes sense and carry and character arcs that take you through like a whole season of something you know why wouldn't you want that on a scripted project you need to be able to like think on the fly you need to be able to like see nuance in different characters um, so to me, I think it's just like massively important to have these these different um, different avenues to tell a story because ultimately, yeah, it's it's 
about telling the best story you can. And if you can say like, hey, you know, I worked on, you know, this project, this paranormal project with Melinda years and years ago, but I remember I did this one thing there and now I'm cutting like a, you know, a paranormal sketch. I can apply that technique to this. I just think it's, it's super helpful for all of us. You know, it's almost like a shorthand where you're like, okay, this is how I'm going to approach this. This maybe I can use like a comedy, you know, music technique here and it's a dramatic scene, you know, it's all, it's all super critical. And then, you know, as far as us as people, like I will always approach something with my own perspective as a black woman, as someone whose family is from another country. Like I have my own personal perspectives. And I think that's also really important to bring to, to any project as well, because, you know, I might see something different than you might see something Zach or then Melinda might see something. So it's mm -hmm. like, why not have, have people with these like diversity of experiences and wealth of knowledge because we're all learning from each other every day. Clearly, I agree with all of this. However, for the sake of this next conversation, I want to point out the biggest fallacy in your argument, which is that you're using this thing called common sense. And the industry <laughs> doesn't see it that way. Right. And I know that you and I have talked about this more extensively, but you have gotten objection after objection after objection about why all of the things that you said are not actually valuable. And I want you to be the square peg in the square hole. So talk to me a little bit about some of the objections of you trying to make one of the many media more genre transitions that you have and why all the people tell you you can't do it. Um, well, you know, I always go back to like one of the very first projects I worked on. One of the older male editors on that project was like, oh, a black woman could never cut this. And I was like, that doesn't what how and why what that doesn't make sense. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Um, and so I spent all my time on that project just trying to prove him wrong, you know, and then it's like you go into, say, jumping from unscripted to scripted. I think people don't realize how much work the editor does in unscripted you're doing music you're doing sound you're responsible for story for pacing you know so it's like they would think like oh there's just someone that like throws stuff together it's messy or it's you know it's reality or you know there's kind of like this weird taboo about it um at least that i found in in making that transition um there's also the issue of like you know, say, because also this industry looks at your prior, your last credit, you know, instead of saying like, oh, look at here's this body of experience. It's like, oh, the last thing you worked on was like a comedy. Why would you be appropriate for this like dramatic story? You know, so it's kind of always just trying to, I think for at least for me, and I assume for you guys as well, like, it's a matter of like trying to explain these things to people in interviews, <laughs> where you know, you might be in a job interview for something that's like, oh, this is a little different than something else that I've cut before, but you can explain like, hey, I know how to make this happen. I know from this reality show, like I had to insert a person into this scene that was not there before. I had to make this person funny who was not funny. I had to make this a dramatic moment that was not dramatic. So it's all like, you know, I think there's always this misunderstanding about what we do in these different genres. And ultimately we're all do like we're doing the same thing. We're trying to, trying to tell a good story. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I'm uh, again, going to caution myself to not get on a soapbox about is the difference in prestige between unscripted and scripted and how they're viewed differently. 
Uh, and I don't know how many of you saw this recently, but uh, uh, at least as of recording this, I'm hoping this can be a much more evergreen conversation, but as of recording this, we are neck deep in the middle of this gigantic mess of a strike. And I saw this uh, job posting or job postings going around about something that had to do with unscripted projects and all the scripted editors that are out of work are like, ooh, look, we can do the unscripted in the meantime. I'm like, you guys have no idea. You have no idea, <laughs> right? No clue what you're getting yourselves into because you're thinking, well, we're at the we're at the top of the ladder, we're at the prestige script, and we're just we're gonna take a step back to unscripted so we can pay our bills. And what I've seen over and over and over is this assumption. Well, if I do scripted, of course I could do unscripted. By the way, vice versa. And it's not to say that you can't do both, but I think everybody here would agree that they're different languages. You have to be multilingual and develop this skill set. And I was just literally laughing out loud with people saying, oh, well, there are still unscripted opportunities, so we can do that until the scripted work comes back. And I'm thinking, number one, you have no idea the competition against you and people that have more experience. But number two, just the assumption that you think you can just do it. I mean, I have such tremendous respect for unscripted editors and what they have to go through. I'm like, I, this is not for me. I could not do this. I tried, wasn't my thing. Um, it's, it's just way too complex, too much material for me. So I wanna, I wanna make the transition now to Melinda because if anybody is fresh off the transition from the unscripted world to the scripted world, they can really talk about this perception of who you are and who you're supposed to be. It's you, because you're you're brand new to the scripted world. So talk to me a little bit more about your experience and the perceptions of the skills people think you have versus the, one you, the ones that you believe to be the most valuable. Yeah, I think, um, what's that, what's that, deep question. Um, Did you expect anything less? Come on, no, I've been putting you on the hot no, seat no. for three and a half years. <laughs> um, I think it's, we people forget, yeah, that we pull from so many things in order to tell a story. Um, and, you know, as Steph was saying, in Unscripted, there's so much, we are writing a lot of times, and you know, we often have story producers, but at the same time, you're going back into that raw footage and, finding moments or one word or something to connect scenes because you're making it you know about something that was only one sentence now we want this whole restaurant scene to be about somebody's dad but they only mentioned their dad once so then you're pulling from 18 other days and covering it and some of that is you know when you then run into a problem in in un, in a scripted show you're ready to be like oh well i know i saw something the other day in these dailies that I could probably cheat to cover this and then we can just add some ADR and make it make it work and it comes naturally after you've been in that kind of you know uh, MacGyvering a scene together world for so long that um, you know a lot of you know not to to be negative but I think maybe a lot of scripted editors don't have that experience because you're used to being like this is what was shot and this is what I have and um you have to they don't naturally come to that so i think that's like the biggest asset that you have to make that transition to be able to say like well i can make i can make something out of nothing and if you're giving me this intentionally planned out thought out shot scene then that's a great base to start from and i have all these other skills to really make it something special and i think that's that's the big um asset that we have working coming from unscripted having all and especially if you've got a bunch of different varieties you you know you have so many tricks um 
And that's what I think people kind of don't realize as much. And that you, you know, the more you let people go between genres or between scripted, unscripted documentary, music videos, like you're just going to get something so much more than something like this is kind of how we always do it. So um, I think that's, that's the big kind of bonus that we have to kind of make that transition. And those are then things you really had to sell as well, you know, like, no, I know how to do this or that. So, but once you get to show those skills, it helps. And I've, I've seen that firsthand many, many times, both on the editor level and the assistant editor level, um, Mm -hmm. where I've seen more than once uh, where I've shared a wall with an editor on a TV series and it's a really challenging episode. Maybe the, the structure didn't work on the page, or maybe there was a two scenes that they didn't make their day. And now how do we tell the story without these scenes? Or they meant to get 17 setups and they got four, right? And what I'll see more often than not is the editor says, well, this is what you gave me, I'm sorry. And the showrunners and the producers and the directors are like, yeah, but let, let's see if we can make it into something different. It's like, okay, tell me what to do. Make me a list of notes of all the things that I need to fix. And as an editor, it's your job to be able to fix those problems. So one, one of the things I always tell showrunners and directors is in your notes, don't give me solutions. Just give me the problems. It's my job to fix them. But when you don't have <laughs> that tool set, it's like, this is what you gave me. Sorry. Well, you know, once you get to a certain level, you're not going to last too long anymore if that's the, the tool set that you have. And I've seen over and over and over, especially with assistant editors, where I've seen reality or unscripted assistants come to scripted. And it's like one o'clock in the afternoon and they come in and they're like, is this it? Is, it, is, is this all I have to do? They're like, <laughs> I, I didn't have to transcode 27 different cameras and everything had a slate and everything was jam synced. And like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with the rest of my day? Whereas the flip side of it is you get an assistant editor that came up the scripted route and they're like, oh, there's one shot and a GoPro that did not have the time code jam sync. So I'm not going to be able to get you your dailies. I'm like, can you just figure it out maybe like it's so i i see that difference and the the immense amount of skill development that you get from the unscripted world that i think so many people um take for granted or take advantage of or even look down upon um and i I, one of the 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 main purposes of this conversation is to really understand how we all bring this diverse skill set as storytellers not as i'm a scripted editor i'm a drama editor i'm a comedy editor i'm a you know shiny floor competition show editor Mm-hmm. Um, and Melinda, you have taught me so much about unscripted like genres and all like I thought there was unscripted and scripted and there's like no. 47 genres just within unscripted. It's, it's fascinating to me. Um, I want to go back uh, to Matthew for a second, because I think I got you uh, pretty riled up when I started talking about artificial intelligence <laughs> and whether or not we want to consume this kind of content of which I certainly um, have very little if no interest in consuming it. But I want to talk a little bit more from the craft side. Um, I don't know any more than anybody else does. I'm not a prognosticator and I don't know where we're going next, but I have a high level of confidence that we as editors and storytellers are going to be largely safe from artificial intelligence, but I think our jobs are going to change significantly. I think our workflows are going to change how, you know, whatever the day-to-day looks like, the storytelling process. But what do you feel, number one, about your, whether or not you're afraid of artificial intelligence replacing you? And if you're not, why? Um, well, first of all, just as a human being, I, uh, am such a day to day person, like living in the now that I don't, I don't worry about things maybe in the future and not maybe as much as I should. Um, but I, I also just think that 
no matter what, it's such a nuanced, it's just such a nuanced um, skill, uh, art form, what, what we do that I think that AI just, I just don't know that it, it could, I, 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 I could be eating my words, of course, in in, in a year. We're, we're all, we could all be eating our words in three months. <laughs> right. So don't worry about it. But like, but again, I think it. I think it comes back to, to maybe what I was saying before, and that I think that we value the human touch as audience members. I think as all as 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 um, editors and storytellers ourselves it's 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 sort of like we're inspired by our favorite filmmakers and editors and cinematographers and and songwriters and and all of that kind of goes into it you know and i think that to lose that connection human connection i think that i just think that this is not something that okay maybe yes maybe there's like you know like uh with my son, like on YouTube, we were watching this obviously AI generated, like, what are these logos? And it was like logos from like Starbucks, from like all over, like every company you could think of. And you had, it was like, a they were like quizzes. And I think just made by like an AI generator somewhere. And for something like that, okay, fine. Yes, I'm sure there will be AI created uh, uh, content like that. But I think that when it comes to, appreciating scripted uh, or not just uh, unscripted just content you know um long longer form content or shorter form content that we want that connection to to the artists the to the various artists behind that um i mean i'm constantly when i watch a uh, a, a film like i just finished you know we just finished the bear i just watched beef uh with my wife which was amazing i don't know if anybody's seen that but like i'm like start like reading about all the people working on it and like i go down rabbit holes and like that's part of it for me and i think that there's a lot of other people who don't even work in this industry who are like that as well you know and to lose that i think is is losing something that i, I don't think we want to lose you know um and but what it, but what i do think like i could see it like a role that it could play in is like you know you were talking about like a scene uh, like where they, you need to have them say dad, talk about this dad conversation. Or when I say there's a, a reality show and like that we need to have, like have, have it, have it be, see the story somewhere that happens somewhere else or, you know, and we need them to these certain words be said, well, AI could, could potentially look for all the instances of that rather than you going through a transcript and finding it and, and putting it into a string. And then you can pull from that. Like, I think that could be useful, maybe. Um, but, you know, when you have 10 mics going on and, you know, I don't think it's going to be perfect either. So, you know, like, or maybe like find me any sunrise shot, you know, like something like that, you know, that we have um, to work with. I think, I think in ways like that, I could see it being useful, maybe. Not game changing, though. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's that's kind and of I, where I'm at. I, I agree with that. And I'm I fully embrace anything that allows us to be creative more and sift through the garbage less. So like right. for example, I'm I'm putting together a, you know a training montage right now 
um, of, uh, you know, months and months worth of students uh, becoming Spartan raisers. And I just want to say, give me the 10 yeah. best shots of people doing pull-ups. I don't want to have to sure. scan through 10 different camera rolls to find it, right? But then the question becomes, well, wait a second, I'm the assistant editor, isn't that my job? And one thing that I want to throw in there that I'm very conscious of is that I don't think that AI replaces assistants either. Because if it's a I matter mean, of, I let's say that I have the, the assistant editor button and it's my, my AI, well, that means that I have to manage the tech stack and I have to manage the technology. I, I still want an assistant editor just as much and frankly, even more than I do now because I don't want to learn any of this crap. I just want to be able to say, here are the things that I need and they could manage the technology. So I think, like I said, it's going to be a transition of roles and responsibilities. But I think mm -hmm. if anything, our workforce expands because of the demand. Um, but I think that what we're going to be asking of our assistants or of our other editors or our team members is going to change. And if I could just chat GPT style, say, show me all the best shots of this thing, put it in a string up, boom, done, rather than that's half my day. Right. That to me is going to be an important part of the process. But I don't believe that the human skills that we have are going to be replaced. So I want to come back to you, uh, Fady, because you've really kind of seen the gamut of all the different areas of the industry. Let's talk not so much about the creative skills and the timeline or the storytelling skills. I bet you've developed a series of human skills, meaning communication or time management or managing expectations. I mean, everything, I think every editor on the planet has to be a therapist to some extent. Um, so beyond just the creative side of things, what are some of the human skills that you believe that you've developed and honed from all of the diverse areas that you've worked in the industry? Well, with AI or with AI? No, no, you as a human. I want to know what are you, the things that we, we, we're not going to be able to press the edit button or the assistant edit button. Um, what are the human skills that you believe you strengthened because you've done so many different things in so many different areas? I'd say more uh, communication and relationship, like as an editor, relationship between me and the, and the director, like fighting every day or laughing every day, <laughs> staying with him or her for months edit a film or a, or a TV series or something like that. Um, the communication is the most important thing. Uh, feedbacks, I need to be very open-minded, like not the best thing I did. You know, I need to be like, oh, okay, I did this cut. It looks perfect. But when someone else will look and I'm like, uh, not really, it's bad or something like this, I'll be like, oh, okay, I need to figure it out, something like that. Um, but I would like actually to go about the AI thing. <laughs> if, Dude, if go can. go right ahead, please. So, so actually, AI. I'm totally agree with you guys. Um, but still, AI in general. I mean, uh, it's it's still learning from us, and it will learn from us. So it will never like affect creative or affect people. It will make us life easier, faster, and these kind of things. Of course, 100. percent And actually. Uh, my wife took uh, a, certif a certificate uh, class with in um, at um, Stanford University in AI, and they still even people who are really like working in AI in general, they still don't know where's this going. Maybe it will go. It will be better. It will be better as everything like ChatGPT or any other app or something. But still, we still human. We still having this brain. It will be us in the end of the day like for example take it this way like the computer when when we begin working on computers 
take it like the same. It's like, oh, it's a new thing oh, it's going to affect me. I'm not going to work or something or something like that. And actually you learn computer and then you begin, oh, okay, actually this is faster. This make my life easier and these kind of things. So AI will help us to be better. I, I totally agree. What, what I want to caution people against though is this idea that faster and easier are the same things. I think mm -hmm. it's going to make us faster, but we can also very easily fall into the black hole of productivity, which is, ooh, we have all this space to do more. Like what, yeah. what I always use as an example is how many of you are using all of the extra free time that you have because you're not banging your clothes against rocks, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> washers and dryers those we're going to revolutionize we, we don't have to spend hours and hours going to the river and banging our clothes against rocks and washboards and hanging them up yeah think of all the free time that we'll have nobody has that free time exactly. i think that ai can both be a benefit but it can also be a tremendous danger which again is this constant change where today's miracle becomes tomorrow's expectation and I think we have to be really careful about not crossing that line. And AI is going to accelerate it faster than any technology has before. Uh, Matt, you had something you wanted to add. No, just really quickly. I mean, it, like, it just like, yeah, like, I think you said this before, but like, we're, we're going to then sort of have to manage the AI and then go over it and make sure the AI like mm -hmm. made good calls. You know what I mean? That in itself, it's like, although, and now I have my AI employee to deal with. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, 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 and make sure that works. So, it, it is going to create a whole other set of it, work and, and, and issues. So, yeah. And I'm right now I'm, I've been doing a lot of experimentation really for the last couple of years behind the scenes in my business, understanding how to automate and delegate and how to use technology as much as possible. Cause I don't have the money to just bring in uh, more people and pay them to solve problems. So just like a really low budget indie filmmaker, you can't solve the problem with money. So you need to be creative. And I've been looking into AI and what I have found is that there are a lot of things that it makes easier, but I still need somebody to manage every single step of the process mm -hmm. such that I basically have a member of my team that's transitioned to being my AI czar. Anything that has to do with AI and automations, can you just monitor it? Because you still have to review everything. So if anything, it's you know it's it's created a position as opposed to a position that I didn't even need before. So that that's why I'm really not worried about this at all. And the here's the there are a whole lot of reasons that I'm not as concerned about um, this as many others are. But there's one thing above all else, and this is what I want to get into next. So I'm going to transition to you, Steph, first, and then I want everybody to dive into this. But if I were to characterize in one sentence why I'm not concerned about artificial intelligence, it's the note underneath the note. <laughs> Imagine if every time we got a note from a producer or director that said, do this thing, and we just did it. What a shit show that would be, right? It's the reason that I think we have inherent value is our ability to know the note underneath the note. What are your thoughts on that, Steph? Yeah, I mean, I always think about like, you know, the AI generated commercials and like music videos and they just look absolutely insane. And I think that's just, you know, it will always take it, take whatever, you know, description it's given literally, right? So it's like, okay, I was not expecting to see this in a music video and then you see something that's absolutely wild. So it's always, no matter what, and it's what you guys have been talking about is just, um, there's always going to need to be like a human element that's managing these things. Um, do you guys remember? So I always think back as well to pluralize, which was kind oh, of sure. the, first, the first thing I can kind of remember that was like this computer generated grouping of clips back in 
whenever that came out, 2008. It was 2010. like the mid 2000s. Yeah, I remember playing. Yeah, that. and it's you know even though it would like try to match these different waveforms to make sure that groups were were synced up, it was always like a little bit off, right? Like you always like assistant editors always had to go in and kind of tweak it and make sure that it was right. And so, yeah, I mean I'm also not super concerned on the posts side because i think no matter what we're always going to be addressing like you said the note behind the note or trying to decipher you might have like several showrunners that are that are giving different notes and you're like i don't think a computer could take all of this information in and understand what these notes are there might be like slang that we use there might be different terminology that i just don't think that ai has on the post side and that's not to say that it won't grow and get better over the years but i do think there's always going to have to be some sort of human element because again we're telling stories as authentically as we can and as nuanced as we can and a computer does not have nuance period yeah no and it's 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 yeah. that nuance of human emotion again that i really think is going to differentiate us and protect us as long as possible um, so just to go further down into that, uh, going back to you, Melinda, uh, what are your thoughts on the, the value of interpreting the note underneath the note? I mean, I think, yeah, that's, that's what our job is and our, you know, kind of deciding like, what is the perspective that you're looking through in a scene? You know, I feel like AI, and maybe this is just the point out we're right now, but might be really great at doing kind of a line cut, you know, the same way you would if you were live cutting something where you're just switching cameras real fast. But at some point, somebody has to go back and evaluate it. But also, you know, if they're just, I know I saw an article where they were saying they had taught AI to kind of match cut. But if you're just on the person who's talking, that's not necessarily where the story is, where the emotion is, you know, it might be that you're going to spend a lot of time on somebody's face going through the process of whatever emotion they're listening to. And I don't think AI is there. Um, how do you teach a machine to understand expression in the eyes, subtle facial twitches? And sure, they have that for like, you know, profiling and security cameras and stuff. But I don't know that we're there. And I think yeah, the human element of understanding, you know, what is the perspective or what is the the note behind the note? That is something you learn as a person going through your life, going through many different, working with different showrunners or different stories. And I don't know how that, that if we get to that point with AI, like then we're in the matrix. So then it's a whole new problem, right? Because we're going to just be plugged in somewhere. So I don't know yet yeah, when when machines can really understand human emotion to make those decisions, then I think we're in trouble. But I just don't know how long how you teach that yet. Yeah. And I could ask if we're not already in the matrix, but that's a totally different conversation for a different episode and something I think about often. Uh, but we're not going to go there now. Uh, but I, what I wanted to uh, bring uh, Matthew back into the conversation for a little bit, uh, given that you two have, even though the resume not might reflect it as much, kind of bounced all over the place. Um, where do you see the value in you being able to interpret the note underneath the note? Well, I mean, the note underneath the note, 
you might end up it might end up being lose that entire section lose that entire lose the thing that that's even creating the note in the first place might be the decision that you're making in unscripted i don't know that if ai would be would know to do that um what if what if uh, you know when you're in unscripted you know especially on a first season show everybody knows that you know first seasons really not just unscripted but in general are always a, a thing it's it's a it's it's a task you know especially first episodes of first seasons so um and always music is a big thing uh figuring out the sound of the show now i don't want to call out any like anybody in specifically but i i as an editor also uh, music is another big passion of mine and um we all have yes music it's subjective of course we've all heard that a thousand times and said it a thousand times but also music categorization when people describe can we have something you know more upbeat like drum like you know suspense but fun pop drop and you're like what you know like and and like so when people start try to describe describe music and they they can't how's ai going to deal with something like that i mean as an as an editor i'm like all right i just need to put something that's going to pop more or better or or do do this kind of thing and then that's just something that i don't think ai is going to be able to read between the lines and deal with you know mm -hmm. Because they genres will be thrown at you, but that doesn't mean that that is what you should do for the note to make it to 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 address it. So, um, yeah, that's that's. I mean, those are two examples right there. I would say. I mean, like one losing, like sometimes it's just losing the problem in it, you know, itself. And sometimes it's 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 with with especially with music and and style things. It's like I think that I don't know that it, that. AI can decipher the language that's used sometimes and read between the lines of of what's actually said to do what's actually needed. You know, I can't even decipher between the lines and understand the notes and know what the hell anybody right. wants. How's a machine going to do it, right? Right. Uh, and right, one, right. one area that I think of specifically, and uh, Fady, this might be one where you can help out a little bit more as a feature editor. Um, in my world of feature editing, did a fair amount of uh, testing. This is one of the things that in TV you don't get of. You don't get nearly as much of the testing process. Maybe if you're on a pilot, I've been in the room before where, you know, you watch the people turn the dials and you see the graphs go up and down. Um, but in the feature world, you can do a test screening and you get all of this data and all the different quadrants. And I can't even imagine what would end up being the outcome if you just said chat GPT interpret all of the data in these surveys and edit, please. Right. So talk to me about some of the the challenges that maybe you've had um, going through the test screening process and where you brought value in being able to discern what the note is underneath the note. Well, uh, a lot of things like music, um, audio, of course, uh, DCP tests, insane hand distributors coming back to some notes like it's long or it's not long. And like sometimes like, oh, this film is very long. And like, I don't think AI will do like, anything about this i'm not right on chat GPT or something like oh the film is so long can you cut it for me or can you make sure like this scene is shorter or something like this of course uh i'd say it's impossible but um we still don't know where's ai going even if it's going like higher or like better and this stuff we still ai will never have very like 
the most important thing was which is empathy which means like i, I actually uh, matthew said it in the beginning uh about ai the audience we like to see humans we like to see like people you know like people who made this this film or something like this but at the same time as audience too we like flows of the character to feel empathy to feel like oh i can be this guy or i can be this girl or i can be these kind of things and ai will not understand that and all of you guys said it like about the cut emotions face all these kind of things we will get these notes and like you said also sometimes you'll be like it doesn't make sense or you cannot do anything else but the ai will, will just give you the basic or something but will not be the brain who's going to create this or to be creative you know yeah yeah i think this this idea of if it needs to be five minutes shorter especially in tv i can't imagine because i'm sure everybody in tv especially in broadcast are like it's perfect lock picture uh we're 47 seconds long we'll just take it out and then lock picture can you imagine saying to ai make this 47 seconds shorter it's not going to do it one frame at a time or two frames at a time. It's yeah. just going to lop all this crap out. And all of a sudden you have to start all over. And the, the, yeah. that to me is where I'm really not worried at all. But the, the biggest thing that you said that if there's one takeaway, it's empathy, right? So I've been saying that once AI figures out empathy, game over. That's it. Because that's what we bring more than anything else is empathy and our, our ability to communicate the human experience. I don't know a whole lot about the technology itself. It sounds like we're a long ways away. When that moment comes, we're in big trouble. But I don't think any of us have to worry about it. But the, the area that I kind of want to close this off today is actually a thread that uh, Steph, without knowing it, pulled at the very beginning of this conversation. And that is the fact that having all of this diverse experience makes for a more fulfilling career and life. This is the piece that I think so many people miss. We are so myopically trained and driven to specialize. You go to college to do one thing, you pick a major, you graduate from college and you have to be this one thing, you have to specialize. And as soon as you divert your attention, you become scatterbrained. Why can't you just grow up, pick a thing to do and be one thing? And that to me just destroys any semblance of being able to build a more fulfilling career in life. So I'm gonna kind of go around the room and uh, you know end the conversation on this thought, but I wanna start with you, Steph and how you feel that every different thing that you've done, whether it's unscripted, scripted, the, the nonprofit stuff, the PSA stuff, has not just lent to the fact that you're now a three-time Emmy nominee, but your life is just more fulfilling and fun because of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it applies not only, you know, on the post-production side, like in anyone's life, if you're like, hey, I, I did these, I went and traveled, or I did this, it's all stuff that adds to your life experience, and it adds to just, I guess just making your day-to-day -day interesting you know I think as creatives like so much of our job is like just trying to figure out figure out new and cool ways to maybe tell stories so it's you know you're almost always when you have diverse genres and things that you bounce between it's like you're never fully settling you're never fully making yourself like comfortable right which is like the perfect formula I think for you to grow as a creative and when you grow in that sense, you're also growing just in like a life, a life sense as well. You know, I think you have a diverse range of people that way to interact with. Like if you're working on say a comedy one day, a drama one day, a horror another day, those are all very different types of people. And the more people we kind of interact with, the more like fulfilling in general, I think life can be because you just gain so much more perspective. So 
I don't know if that answers your question exactly. It's maybe a rambly, rambly answer, but um, I feel no, like, I... yeah, I just feel like it's it's crucial for us as people to have a diversity of experiences and, you know, someday when we're all old and gray and thinking back, it's like, oh yeah, remember when I worked on this thing or remember when I went on this trip or remember when I like met this person I never would have met otherwise. Like, you know, it's all just, just building out experiences and, and enjoying yeah i i couldn't agree more i would imagine that uh you know despite all of the success that you've had professionally you're probably not going to look back someday and say well i missed out on all these life experiences but look at the awards that i have on my shelf right you're going to be one of the few that can probably look back on both and say look at all the amazing experiences that i have and look at all the awards that i have on my shelf right um but at the, at the end of the day I think we're better as creatives the more we get out of the edit bay or the more we get out of the office. Because again, if you want to bring diversity of experience and voices, you need to actually be out in the world to be a better storyteller, right? But the industry, oh no, you just, you got to stay in your small dark room and you got to do your thing all day, every day and do the same thing. And you got to be the square peg in the square hole, right? And the fact we're getting out there and diversifying just our life experiences makes this a more fulfilling process. Mm -hmm. Right. And you, you brought up a very interesting and important word that I know that Melinda is very, very familiar with, which is discomfort. So mm. Melinda, talk to me a little bit more about the discomfort of having gone through these transitions and how this diversity has led to a more fulfilling career in life for you. I mean, I think it's just also it keeps you from. Yeah, like moving out of your comfort zone and not staying in you know it can also be so comfortable when you're you're like oh i've done this show before i know exactly how to do it just move through the paces but there there comes a point and i think probably all of us have felt that where you're like oh i'm just starting to do this is starting to feel rote and like i'm doing the same thing every day and that's not good for your creativity or your brain in general so i think um that discomfort of saying, okay, I know I can do this really well, but I'm, I'm getting to be too good at this and I need to see what else is out there because otherwise even that work is going to start to, to suffer because you're not, you know, you're just doing the same thing all the time and it's not fresh or creative. So it's like, you kind of have to shock, you know, get that like kind of jump start to your system by being like, okay, I'm going to throw myself into this whole new thing. And I don't know any of, you know, it's, it's like going to a new high school where you're like, I don't know any of the editors on this show because they've all been doing the same kind of show together for the last like 15 years. And you show up with your like lunch bag at lunch and you're like, oh, who am I going to sit with? Um, but it's those moments that help you grow because then you're, you know, you're meeting all these new people. They have a whole new set of skills that you've never seen. And maybe you also have stuff that they haven't done because they've also been doing what in you know maybe in their lane for a little bit so i just think it keeps everybody fresh and it just keeps your mind you know even you know they tell older people you know do crossword puzzles or you got to keep your mind fresh because even if you're really good at what you're doing at some point you're going to stagnate and you got to switch things up so i think that's like yeah the discomfort is you got to go to a new high school and you gotta sit at somebody else's lunch table and and learn from them because then you, you've got a lot more to like pull from. I don't even recognize who you are, Melinda. 
<laughs> I don't even recognize you anymore because three years ago, just the mere thought of putting yourself out there and networking and connecting with people was worse than life itself. And now you're telling people go to a new high school with a new lunch bag and just break in with the clicky kids and say, hi, like, who are you? I don't recognize you. I mean, I would still be pooping myself. Don't get me wrong. Like there would be like buckets of sweat, but you know, it's like, what would Zach say? So. I love it. Uh, the, the fantastic advice. Uh, moving on now to you, Fady. Um, do you find that in all the various areas that you've been on set, production, post-production, and otherwise, that it's just lent to the journey being more fulfilling for you? I'd say yes, of course. Uh, you're learning a lot. You have more experience in all the in the film industry with all the field, like all deport, uh, departures. Uh, you have um, you you already like. You don't have routine too, which I really I feel like all creators really hate routine. They don't like to just wake up and go to work or something like this every day. Uh, so I don't have this too. So I'm like sometimes I'm in projects. Sometimes like I have between projects. So um, let's have fun a little bit, and then I would be stuck for seven months in feature or something like this. Uh, it really helped me as be happy. In, my, in what I'm doing. And also as an editor, uh, I like to go with this genre and this genre and that genre, everything. So of course it helped me as a human to like, to understand more like comedy, romantic uh, action, uh, horror, everything. It opened my mind, made me, make me like teach myself new things, teach my, new languages, these kind of things. So of course, yes, it is, yeah, especially in the film industry, I'll say. Yeah. And the, my, my favorite word that you said amongst all the others was it just makes you happy. Just makes yeah. you enjoy the process more, which by the way, makes you better as a creative of what you do, <clears throat> right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so lastly, moving on to, uh, to Matthew, do you feel that all of the, the diversity and all the various interesting things you've been involved with have just made the journey more fun and more fulfilling? Absolutely. Um, you know, while my resume is, uh, you know, almost entirely um, unscripted reality, um, but different genres within that, um, you know, I, I've always had my other um, creative vices, and I would say both. There, <laughs> you know, like for instance, I keep bringing it back to, to, to music, but you know, I was in like, in, when I lived in, in New York city for like 12 years, I was in like a really serious band. We were signed and everything. And like, we played New York out in New York, like quite a bit. And, um, but we all had like serious jobs and it was a release in that it was, it was like, it was like, okay, I had my creative job. And then I had my creative like outlet, like where, where I got to release my my creativity in 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 a way that there weren't any rule, rules or I, I I didn't have to satisfy a client. The client really was myself, you know. Um, and I think it's important to have those things. I think that it helps give. I think as creators, I think it's good to have other other creative projects and things in your life to give you give yourself that balance. Um, I also, you know, like. I I'm I'm sitting here like you know I, I I'm jealous of all of you guys getting work inscripted. I am like hoping that I I I I I'm 
not the best self-promoter. Like I have not, I, I just recently got started to get my IMDB page together, my LinkedIn and all. I'm like horrible at that stuff. Like that's not, that's not where my strengths lie. And so I'm trying to, trying to um, get ahead of that a little bit. Um, but I will say that, you know, I think that whenever something starts to feel too easy and too sort of like formulaic or you're fitting, like, it's a good time to maybe change it up, you know? And, and <laughs> even within the same project, I mean, even on a day-to-day -day basis, like if something's feeling too easy with a scene or an edit, I'm like, is there another way I could do this that is maybe a little bit more interesting and surprising? And so when something starts to feel too obvious and too easy, it, it I don't know, for me, I'm always like, and this is with any creative endeavor. I'm always like, I, I'm like, no, 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 that, that can't be right then. Like, if it's too easy, it's like, it's like I gotta like, and, and I might end up back there, but I have to explore other ways of doing it. And I might end up back at that easy way, but I have to explore some other ways before I just make that call. Like, that's the way to go, you know? Um, yes, we're editors, we're decision makers, we have to make decisions. But I think the way to make an informed decision is by exploring other options. And then you can really make an informed decision, an informed decision. Sometimes, uh, you know, um, the schedules don't allow for all of that for us. So we have to prior prioritize when we can do that. But yeah. Yeah, I'm, I've, I'm, I'm in the, the same position as you where every once in a while I'm putting together a scene and I cut a piece of music under and I'm like, it's perfect. Well, that's not possible. I need to spend an entire day going through music yeah. bins, seeing eight <laughs> different options. Then at the end of the day, I'm like, damn it. The first one was the best, right? And you go with it. And like you said, right. it's about exploring those other options. So I've definitely right. been there before. Um, I can say uh, with, uh, you know, if you're looking to figure out, well, how is it that I can kind of change the narrative? If you're really interested in getting into the scripted world, shameless self-promotion might know a guy that can help with that. Melinda's <laughs> definitely shaking her head. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the ultimate reason that I offer this service, and this is a much bigger picture thing just beyond job placement, is that I firmly believe that we are much more than our resumes. The industry wants us to be our resumes and the, the more we attach our identities to our job titles and the work that we do, the worse our mental health, the more frequently we become burned out and the less creative energy we have to bring to a project. And I feel everybody here is the personification of you are not just your resume, there's something more. And that value is what has led all of you to ultimately become Emmy nominees. So having said that, is there anything else that anybody here feels absolutely necessary to share that if I were to close off this conversation, like, oh, but I didn't say this one thing. Is there anything else that anybody wants to share before we wrap this up today? I'm gonna take the crickets as a resounding no. Um, War on AI. No, just yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there's plenty, pl plenty of more of uh, that to come from my world because I'm talking about this stuff 24 seven. Um, but at this point, I will uh, I'll wrap up today's conversation and say that I personally have learned a tremendous amount from all of you. Uh, very happy to now have all of you uh, in my network and hope to connect with all of you further. Um, but having said that, I want to thank Impact24 immensely for reaching out and putting this together today. I had an absolute blast. I just kind of plant the seed. Would love to do more of these uh, with creative, brilliant minds in the future. Uh, but I wish all of you the best of luck. So thank you, Steph. Matthew, Fady, and Melinda for being here and sharing all of your experiences and your insights with the audience today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I wanna make sure that you've subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even gonna send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.